Heritage Mississauga takes pleasure in bringing you Mississauga Confidential. Mississauga Confidential, a new series of programs with one strict purpose in view, your entertainment. Every other Monday, Heritage Mississauga sets aside time to excite you, to mystify you, and on occasion, to terrify you with a catalog of the greatest stories from our city's darker side. Tonight is another such tale, well calculated to keep you in suspensefulness. In tonight's episode, the paths of two strangers cross in a chance meeting. Born an ocean apart, a cruel fate brings them together, and they are soon locked in a desperate life-or-death struggle on Christmas Day. We call this tale of true crime, Bloody Christmas. It is Christmas night in the year 1907 in the Toronto Township farmhouse of Eliza Black. The remains of a bountiful Christmas supper lay on the dinner table waiting to be cleared. With their bellies full of food and spirits full of good cheer, Eliza's father, William Curry Sr., and her brother, James Curry, put on their coats for the sleigh ride home. No little town of Bethlehem, how clearly is the sky. Ah, oh, that was a fine feast you cooked up, Eliza. That husband of yours caught a fine bird. And the turkey wasn't bad either. <laughs> Not the best turkey I've ever had, mind you. You remember that one your mother, God rest her soul, cooking up back in 93, a devil of a catch. Oh, Father. Come along, Dad. We've got to get back to the farm before the snow picks up. All right, all right. Nothing like the snow we had in 81. Now that was a story. Merry Christmas, Eliza. You hear that, Mr. Black? I said Merry Christmas. Among the sheep and mountains, James, wait. Are you sure you two won't spend the night? I have plenty of room upstairs, and Father's had an awful lot to drink. Oh, you worry too much, sister. The crisp air will sober him up by the time we get back home. He'll be in bed by the time I've finished rubbing down the horse. Besides, I better check on that new farmhand of ours, uh, John Terse. He's new around here, and he's not used to winters yet. Better make sure that he hasn't frozen to death. Besides, I don't like the idea of leaving him alone, even with the farm boy, young Jimmy Reed, to keep an eye on him. Hmm, there's something not right about that Englishman. He was acting so strangely when I visited you last week. Kind of surly, like he couldn't stand to be around us. Yeah, 
There is something odd about him, all right. Just last week, I caught him twice with a blacksmith hammer in his pocket, and for no good reason that I could see. I don't mind telling you, Eliza. I told Terse he could work for me on a month's trial basis, and I know already it won't be a day more than that. I'd let him go today if it wasn't for the holidays. You be careful, James. Maybe you had better stay. It would make me feel much better knowing you and Father were safe. You could send for Jimmy, too, if you like. <laughs> you have nothing to worry about. Terse doesn't look like he's seen a day's hard work in his whole life. He can barely lift a fork of hay to feed the cow. We can handle ourselves. Now you go see that husband of yours. He's had his share of festive cheer himself. Well, if you're sure. Good night then, James. And a Merry Christmas. James Curry bids good night to his sister. He and his father follow the path across the snow-covered fields, back to the Curry farm, back to the farmhouse, where their new farmhand, John Davis Terse, sits alone with only his resentment to keep him company on this cold Christmas night. Ooh, wind's really picking up out there. Must be a good six inches of snow since we pulled up. Well, in my day, it wasn't worth mentioning, unless there was at least snow up to your knees. When I was born back in 28, there was barely a roof built over our heads. I was practically born right out of the snow. <laughs> oh, Terse, are you done for the night now? Hi, sir. All done helping with the horses out there. I was just going to get young Jimmy to light a lantern and head up to bed for the night. Going to bed? Tis barely past nine in the evening. Come on then, Terse. Pull up a chair. Join my son and I for a little nightcap. That's kind of you, sir. But I won't be where I'm not wanted. Nonsense, boy. It's Christmas. Let's not waste what's left of the holiday spirit. Fetch the jug, James, and pour us all a sip. Don't you think you've had enough already, Dad? Not you too, son. You sound like your sister, always worrying over nothing. Come on and sit down, the both of you. Have your one last cup of Christmas cheer with me tonight. For all we know, I'll be dead in the morning. What were you and Jimmy doing while we were off visiting with my daughter and her Mr. Black? I was just... Lord man, is that a hammer in your pocket? What are you doing carrying a round thing like that at this time of night? Don't tell me you're working on your chores. I won't have it. Just fixing the pig pen, sir. Like your son, Mr. Curry, asked. I'm sure I didn't mean for you to work at the pig pen all night, Terse, and you know it. Next time you can leave the hammer out in the barn. There's no need to be carrying it around the house at this time of night. As you say, Mr. Curry. <sighs> but you never know, sir, when a hammer might come in handy. By God, you're an odd duck, Terse, and no mistake. <laughs> yes, John. When they weren't laughing at you, they were just tolerating your presence.
Just how did you end up here, John, spending Christmas with this group of strangers, thousands of miles from your family, thousands of miles from your home back in England? Do you really have to go, Johnny? Look, Sarah, we've talked about this. That ship's leaving for Canada, and there's a berth with my name on it. I gotta go ahead with it. <laughs> It'll be a new start for me. I mean, for all of us. I'll be settled before you know it, and then I'll send for you and the kids. We'll all be together again by next Christmas. You'll see. But, but what if... What if you get eaten by a polar bear? <laughs> I promise that if I see a polar bear, I'll turn and run. Well, the SS Lake Manitoba calls. Goodbye, Sarah. Goodbye, Johnny. Get the kids for me. I will. All right. Oh, Johnny. Bloody, bloody fool. Nobody helped you, did they, John? Nobody saw anything. And when the SS Lake Manitoba docked in New Brunswick, you were alone in a strange new country, without a penny to your name. You made your way to Toronto, but your troubles didn't end there. There's no work to be had anywhere for a painter like me. Not in the middle of this godforsaken Canadian winter. Couldn't you let me stay just a little bit longer, Mr. Mitchell? Look, Mr. Curse. There are immigrants just like you arriving in Toronto every day. The Custom House can give you room and board for a day or two to get you on your feet, but that's it. I'm sorry, but you'll have to clear out your things by the afternoon. But I... I understand. What else could you do, John? You went back upstairs to your room to pack your things, 
But there wasn't anything to pack, was there? You just sat on your cot and cried. Little did you know, the wheel of fortune was about to turn. But would it be for the better? Whoa! Good morning, Mr. Curry. Good morning, Mr. Mitchell. How are things here at the Customs House? Busy as usual. How's young Jimmy doing? Oh, fine. He's a good lad. He's taken to calling my dad father, if you can believe it. I guess that makes us brothers now. He's just 12 and a mere wisp of a man, though. And his lameness is making the farm work hard for him. And with my dad getting on in years, I thought we might take on another farmhand to help me out around the farm full time. Would you know anyone I could take on? Well, there is a young man here right now, just arrived from England, and he's in a desperate situation, you see. I see. It's just that I feel bad for him, because he was robbed on the crossing. I can sense a hitch coming, Mr. Mitchell. His name's John Davis Terse. He's 25, a painter by trade, but, well, he's a smaller man, you see. A head shorter than me, maybe. Well, now, I don't know. Mr. Curry. When I was looking to find young Jimmy Reed a home, I thought of you, and you did not disappoint. You took an orphan boy into your home, a lame one at that, and here you are, raising him as your own. I have told friends and strangers alike that Mr. James Curry of Toronto Township is the very model of Christian charity. Here we have another wayward soul, someone in need of your help. He needs a job so badly that I have no doubt that he'll do the work of a man twice his size. All right, all right. I'll take a look at him. I'm not making any promises, but I'll take a look at him. You did take a look at the young man from England, didn't you, James Curry? You looked at him, and you didn't like what you saw. And yet, when you'd flick the reins to coax your horse and cutter back to your home in Toronto Township, John Davis Terse was seated next to you. Look here, Terse. I'd be lying if I said you were the farmhand I'd had in mind when I came into Toronto today. I'll take you on for a month. Call it a trial period. We'll see how you fare. And after Christmas, we'll see if we keep you on. That's all I ask for. I won't let you down, Mr. Curry. We'll see. Mississauga Confidential will return after this message from our sponsor. It's almost the night before Christmas, and there's plenty stirring in our house. Gifts to deliver, cards to address, and we're far from broke even giving the best. Elgin American. The loveliest dresser set for swanky Aunt Carrie. That sensational lighter case for smooth Uncle Harry. And Mother's Elgin American Simulated Pearls. Gorgeous strands, earrings and rope. She'll let me borrow them, I hope, I hope. Yes, our magnificent compact magic action lighter and cigarette cases just couldn't be lighter than Elgin American makes them. And talk about values. Elgin American beats them all, looks like a million, 
for prices so small. And there's also American Beauty to save you even more. It's Elgin American's companion line, the extra thrifty adore. So these last three days, do as millions have done. Buy the finest gift made by the only, the one, Elgin American. Mississauga Confidential. Radio's premier theater of thrills returns to... Bloody Christmas. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspensefulness. John Davis Terse, penniless in a new land, has just been hired on as a farmhand by James Curry. As the scenery passes by their horse-drawn carriage in a blur of snow and trees, field and farms, John Terse prepares himself for his new life in Canada. But does he have what it takes to survive? The horse and cutter arrive at the Curry Farmhouse in Toronto Township. The farmhouse is modest in size, but it's still bigger than any house you've ever lived in, isn't it, John? And the farm fields stretch as far as your eyes can see. How will you ever shoulder all the work for this much land? Come on, Terse. Rise and shine. Time to get a move on. I can only go so fast, Mr. Curry. You want to work on this farm, you have to keep up with me. I'm shoveling as fast as I can. Keep up, keep up. I'm exhausted, Mr. Curry. I want those cows fed by the time we get back from church. You care more about those cows than people, don't you? Why is there still snow on this hay? You stinking liar. You told me you fed those cows hours ago. I'm not a liar. You must be a liar if you keep on saying that. Before you knew it, a month had almost ended. And here you were, John Davis Terse, on Christmas night, playing checkers with James Curry, the man who would decide to keep you on or send you back out into the cold. Your move, Terse. Curry name means something around here. Is that a question, Terse? You have a big family, a big house. That's right. You must be a real big shot among your neighbors. We're just a family of farmers. My grandparents came here from Ireland and built up a new life from scratch. My father built this house with his bare hands. It took time, 
It can't be done overnight. Exactly. It can't be done overnight. And it can't be done in a month. You're a rich man, Mr. Curry. You can afford to keep me on for the year like we agreed. You know very well. I only ever agreed to a month's trial. I have a wife and kids back home, you know? <sighs> I do. They need me to make a life for them here. A lot of people come here for the same reasons. Back in Walsend, there's nothing for a man to do but build ships or mine coal. They took one look at me, and they laughed. They called me scrawny. They called me runt. They called me puny. They called me pint-sized. I've heard it all, but at least they said it to my face. No one is laughing at you here. I heard this country was a land of opportunity, that any man could make something for himself. What they don't tell you is there's people guarding the gates over here, same as the ones back home. Do you think this is some sort of game, Terse? Living in Canada is no child's play. This is a harsh, rugged land. You think you've seen winter? It's only December. You haven't seen anything yet. You want to make it here? I suggest you go back to Toronto. You can read and write. Why don't you get yourself a job as a clerk in an office somewhere? Soon the city folk will be ready for you to paint their houses. Just wait it out till spring. Spring? That's an eternity away. But one thing is clear, Terse. You are not cut out for this farming life. We gave it a go, but it's just not working out. You can stay on until the new year, but that's it. And that's the game. So that's it, then. Afraid so? Fine. Jimmy, go light that lantern. It's time to go up to bed. Sure thing, Mr. Terse. It's my turn to laugh now. Move, and I'll shoot you. What in the name of common sense does this mean, Terse? Pointing my own shotgun at me? You laughed at me in front of your father. You laughed at me in front of Jimmy. You laughed at me in front of your sister and your brother-in-law. You've been laughing at me from the very first moment you met me. Well, you had your laugh. I'm having my laugh now. Oh, hold on. I never laughed at you, Terse. I never laughed at a man down on his luck. I only ever wanted to give you a chance. Now, there's no use trying to bluff me with an empty gun. That shotgun has been leaning over on that kitchen corner, unloaded for years. Put your hands behind your back, Curry. Both barrels are loaded. Fine, Terse. I'll play along for now. I'm putting my hands behind my back. There, I've done it. But tell me, where'd you get the cartridges? In the kitchen. In the cupboard where they always are, of course. So... You were searching the house while we were having Christmas dinner at my sister's. There was only one cartridge left in the kitchen. All the rest were in a drawer in my bedroom. Were you looking for my money too? Why would I? I'm no thief. Last week you couldn't stop asking me those questions about how much money our cows bring in. Bet you were pretty angry when you didn't find any money here tonight, weren't you? 
It was a perfect opportunity for you to search while we were all away. Well, I've been carrying all that money around with me ever since then. It looks like I was right to be suspicious of you. Can't a man get some shut-eye? What's all this screaming about? What's the meaning of all this? Go back to your room, Dad. Come and eat closer, and I'll shoot you too. What? Put that gun down, terse. Don't make a fool of yourself. <laughs> oh. oh! You shot him! You, you, you moved! It was supposed to be you! That's right, John. You didn't mean to shoot the old man point-blank with the shotgun. You've never fired a gun before in your whole life. While you stand there, stunned at the old man lying motionless on the ground, James Curry lunges at you, trying to grab the gun away. You both fall to the ground, struggling for control of the gun. <coughs> the roof's all smoky. Watch out, Mr. Curry! He's right behind you! Oh no, you don't! that final blow, James Curry, the night is silent once again, except for your own heavy breathing. You quickly tie up John Davis Terse and go tend to your father. He's still alive, but not for long. You gather up his frail, limp body and bring him back to his bed. He'll die there before the sun rises. You return to Terse, who's still knocked out. You carry him to his room and tie him to the bed. He'll stay there, unconscious for the next 24 hours, waiting for a doctor and the local constabulary to arrive. Sarah? Wash now. Sarah, is, is that you? Now. There's no need to speak. Sarah, I fear I might have done something. Something terribly wrong. Shh. Eliza, you don't have to sit by that man's bedside and nurse him. He's a murderer. He killed our father, damn it. And if he doesn't survive that blow to the head you gave him, the stove poker, what will that make you, James Curry? Besides, he's insensible. He thinks I'm his wife in England. Sarah. I'm so glad you're here. It was all a bad dream. All just a nightmare. I never should have left Walsend. I never should have left you and the kids all alone. There now. Everything will be alright from now on. 
I can't listen to this. My own sister's consoling our father's murderer. I'm going outside to wait for Constable Brody and Crown Attorney McFadden. Oh, Sarah, you wouldn't believe what I've dreamt. I thought the journey would be a grand adventure. Put a bit of romance back into our life. But I was robbed blind on the crossing. There weren't any jobs to be had in Canada. Except as a farmhand. That curry worked me to the bone. I spent Christmas with his pigs while he feasted with his family. All I could think about was you. Poor old man, Curry. We were just playing a game. It was all just a laugh. That poor old man. I'm so glad it was all a dream. Well, Mr. Terse. Sarah? You're, you're not Sarah. Miss Black? Yes, that's right. You were talking in your sleep. Can I get you a glass of water? Maybe some milk? There he is, McFadden. There's the man that murdered my father. Thank you, Mr. Curry. I'll take it from here. Mr. Terse, John, can I call you John? I'm Crown Attorney James McFadden. Do you remember what happened last night? We... Mr. Curry and I were, we, we were playing checkers, and then I lost the game. I must have, I must have gotten angry. Why was that? I was just tired of being looked down on, sir. Well, be that as it may, you've committed a heinous crime in your fit of anger. John Davis Tierce, you are hereby under arrest for the murder of William Curry. You're going to come with me now. Constable Brody is waiting outside to take you away. His fate is up to the judge and jury now. Merry Christmas, Mr. Curry, Mrs. Black. Thank you, McFadden. <sighs> Merry bloody Christmas. Mississauga Confidential was a presentation of Heritage Mississauga. Our merry band of players was Greg Carrero as James Curry, Scott Foster as John Davis Terse, Justine Lynn as Thief Number Two, Nicole Mayer as Sarah Terse, and Jimmy Reed, Ryan Parks as Thief Number One and Crown Attorney McFadden, Becky Rusk as Eliza Curry Black, Matthew Wilkinson as Frank Mitchell, and Joe Zamet as William Curry Sr. And I am, as ever, your faithful narrator. Bloody Christmas was written by Brian Ho and Nicole Mayer, with research 
by Brian Ho, Nicole Mayer, Matthew Wilkinson, and John Eigel. An adaptation of this story by Jenny Walker first appeared in the Heritage News. Video content produced by Brian Ho, Nicole Mayer, and Ryan Parks. Mississauga Confidential is a Heritage Mississauga production. Heritage Mississauga is a not-for-profit organization dedicated to researching, recording, and celebrating the history of the city of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Your support helps create programming just like this. For more information about Heritage Mississauga and to become a member, please visit heritagemississauga.ca and follow us on social media. This episode was transcribed in Mississauga in December 2021. Stay tuned for the next season of Mississauga Confidential, airing in March of 2022. Until next time, dear listener, this is Mississauga Confidential, signing off.